Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. What have you been up to lately, Mark? What's on the painting table? So, I haven't actually painted anything for a little bit. I had a massive uh, blitz of painting from March through till September, where I painted two pretty big armies and I was really pleased with it um and then I kind of got to the end and sort of stalled a little bit near the end and then got and then sort of thought no I can I can get this done and got that bit of final motivation to get across the finishing line and then as these things are when you do something that's probably pushed you a bit further than you you used to it kind of burnt me out a bit so mm. I've just gone with it and thought, okay, that's all right. And just letting it just sit there. And I've still got to do the basing and on all these figures. And that sounds like a bit of a daunting task. So I've been doing a bit of terrain and things like that. Just changing it up a bit. Trying to play a few games. Just not really too worried about um, goals and getting things done. Because I, I was really pleased with setting that goal and sticking to it. But I couldn't do that all year round. It was it was too much, really. So good for them. but. Mm. Yeah, just been taking the foot off the gas recently. What the what were the two armies you were doing? So it's kind of um the historical figures, I suppose. They're all Perry miniatures, um nineteenth century stuff, so a mixture of Napoleonics and some Franco Prussian War figures they do and some American Civil War. Um so it's all kind of sort of that nineteenth century time period. They're not really stuff that should actually go together, but it's um trying to do something that's kind of a bit like those old school imaginations um things where you know you just come up with two random countries and then just you can so it it, that's sort of the idea behind it but i haven't really fleshed it out completely it was a bit of an impulsive project that i just thought oh, i really want to do this and so i just Mm -hmm. kind of got on and did it and um yeah really glad i have but there's lots more yet to come on it so my ambition is to kind of flesh out the world a bit more and try and kind of realize what that looks like and what these two countries are and um then think about maybe some kind of narrative campaign using the two armies and you know, sort of breaking them up into smaller forces and having some skirmish things and then maybe some big battles and so it's yeah it's all kind of all just fun and games really uh with no particular clear direction on what I'm trying to achieve but um I'm kind of enjoying that just the sort of fumbling through it and kind of finding my way along as I go so yeah it's just been really good fun and a chance to paint up cool figures with nice bright colors and i think that's the thing is by doing the stuff with those 19th century uniforms you can do like you know red coats and blue french uniforms and but you don't have to stick to all one color for one army and get bored you can so they're all very multicolored and bright and garish really but good fun mm-hmm. did i see you were doing some old sworn stuff as well mm, they're, they're from a few years ago actually so um that's the um, Burroughs and Badgers range. Um, and that was actually what I got back into the hobby with after the sort of 25 year deep freeze from when I stopped playing as a kid. Um, and I, it's really funny, actually, because we were quite a lot of us um, in the community and hear people on podcasts and talking about it in the hobby. And so, oh, you know, I went into a deep freeze and then there was this trigger and I kind of came back out. And I can't for the life of me remember what was that triggered me into even looking at tabletop games because I definitely wasn't looking and I wasn't keeping up with it or reading magazines or reading novels or anything. So I don't quite know what it was. But either way, it was um, the Burroughs and Badgers game and the miniatures that I got back into the hobby with, with my uh, oldest daughter who... So this would have been 2018, so she would have been um, 12 or 13 at the time. And so, yeah, we ended up getting those... Uh, 11 or 12 actually so yeah she was quite young and we I, I bought basically two war bands of their really brilliant figures and painted those up and then we bought the rules and and we just played that for about six months or a year mm. um and that was kind of the main game if you like and then as these things go you start then seeing other things and and then it leads to a serious case of getting in a bit too deep and buying far too many things and having too many different games to play and not enough people to play with but yeah that was that was the starting point i haven't actually played the game for a couple of years now but it's a really good game and the but the figures are ace and um one of the guys on the discord mentioned about how he really liked the game 
Um, oh, it was because you were uh, looking for um, a Jareth model, weren't you, for um, Labyrinth. And so people That's were talking right. about those kind of whimsical fantasy things. And that Burrows and Badgers range is definitely ticks that that box um very sort of mm. like reminiscent of the red wall books definitely yeah aye that's what grabbed me about them because i read a lot of them when i was younger so uh i've got a bunch of them I, I painted them similarly like they were you know part of the first batch of miniatures i bought when oh, okay. i got back into the hobby but, was that um, a similar time I, then sort of five yeah, years ago 2008 Late 2018, I've kind of pinpointed it. As... Yeah, that's me, me. Yeah, that's exactly when I was doing it. Maybe there's some sort of trigger. And, something um, must have flew by Earth or something. Yeah, and they just found something where all the people who've got that kind of weird gene in their brain that attracted them to goblins and Citadel combat cards in 1990, and they reactivated <laughs> it. Yeah. Aye, it was... Um... I did paint them up initially, but I, I didn't do a very good job and ended up stripping them, and now they're in the to-do list. Okay. Is, well, a big list, but um, <laughs> aye, I'll get round to them eventually. I'm I'm, I'm pretty slow. Uh, I kind of get... Like, if I'm on a good week, I'll get an hour Tuesday night, an hour Wednesday night, and an hour Thursday night, but it's rare for me to get the hat trick. Um, usually there's some or other that comes up. Uh, so yeah. But three hours a week, you can still slowly, like, you know, when I look back after six months, I've achieved a lot. But it doesn't doesn't seem in the day, you know, the week-to-week stuff that I'm getting very far. So Yeah, I had to really change it when I was doing those big armies because I kind of knew that the speed at which I'd been painting wouldn't be achievable. And you'd spoken to Jason on the podcast about his approach and he was sort of saying about almost to strip it down to the... You know, you're saying about an article in White Dwarf was showing how to paint skeletons or something relatively simple sounding, and it was like 30 steps. And he worked out that that would mean that, you know, it'd take four or five years or something to paint what he wanted. And he just didn't want to do that. He wanted to get it done in a year, for example. So mm. how to sort of like reduce down the amount of work by five. And I think I very much did that with what I was doing before. So because they've kind of got that sort of slightly shiny toy soldier look about them, then, you know, there's nothing really complicated going on in terms of other than just get a colour painted on fairly neatly, next colour, go, 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 and doing a lot of batch painting, you know, so painting 36 figures at a time, just do all the red coats, all the black boots. Um, But I don't know whether or not I enjoyed it as much as a more natural approach. I probably didn't Mm. really. So looking forward to what I want to paint next, I'm actually quite looking forward to taking my time and doing some stuff really quite slowly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aye, I've I've got a kind of, I think I've settled into a reasonable enough system. So at the moment, I've got two full uh, 15mm armies, an orc army and a kind of empire army. Mm. Uh, and I'm working through them one unit at a time. I'm nearly finished one unit of each. <laughs> but my system here is kind of, and it's, it's obviously it's not as grueling as doing units in uh, 28mm, obviously a bit smaller. But... Uh, now that I'm just tidying up this second unit, the orc unit, what I'm going to do now is uh, just a handful of stuff that I just wanted to paint. So I got some Ralpartha stuff, right? Yeah, um, just a couple of you know, I've I've got no purpose. They'll they'll find their way into games, obviously. But I thought let's let's just have a wee palette cleanser and then we'll go back to the mono pose, working through a regiment. But again, fifteen mil, it's not as it's not as intensive as its uh, 28 mil counterpart. So I was going to ask you about that actually, because I've not paint, painted anything at all, got any figures other than 28 mil figures, and it kind of crossed my mind that on a 15 millimeter figure, in some ways there must be some things that are a bit harder. Like you know, if you need to paint like the hands and they're holding a you know a, a sword or something, and you want to paint the flesh color on the hand, is that not trickier because it's smaller? Yeah, I I mean it's um the models are still are still really detailed considering mm. the scale. Like especially the Ralpartha stuff. It's just an immense amount of detail. When you think about like these will be hand sculpted, you know. Uh, and at that scale there's a lot of detail. But yeah, it's tricky. Um tricky air. But not like 
you know, we're not talking like anywhere near six mil scale. No. Was that very uh, different? Then? Is that much more like impressionistic how you have to paint them? Just kind of... Aye, I mean, six mil, I, I wasn't probably embracing it to its full, but, you know, it was like two, three colours. You know, we've got the the colour of the the colour of the soldier and maybe a dot for a face and a dot for a yeah. weapon. So yeah, yeah. Three colour, like... Um, but 15 mil, you're still getting, I would say more of the kind of painting experience that I'm used to, but, uh, you know, on the plus side, you're, you get through them quicker, But and there's, there's less detail for sure, but aye, there, there are points where I'm I'm struggling, especially I need to I need to get some new brushes, like I've got just a batch of brushes, I've never bought expensive brushes or that, but I don't look after them very well, and I end up just using the same two or three all the time, and they're, they're not great, they're not in great condition, so I was trying to do some eyes on marks last night not pupils but just a bit of white on them yeah and uh, i don't know as well if it's a psychological thing like i turned 40 recently and i don't know if i've got in my head now that my eyesight's failing like i've just got this thing now uh, it's just a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy isn't it yeah, yeah like i, I've I keep saying myself this to my it. wife and saying about how old i am she's like you know you're you're not old at all you just you just eight you just have it's just the reality is you when you're a kid you just assume you're like you're just a standard age and then you become old and it just falls off a cliff one day. So yeah, I think that there is that perception, isn't there, that at forty you're gonna lose your eyesight and lose your ability to do things. But yeah. I, I think, I think that I'm the, just needing a better like magnifier or that. Like I've got these I've got these dodgy little glasses for like pound stretcher. They were like a pound and they're okay. magnified. And I'll accidentally go away and like try and do something with these glasses on because if I've not got like those on for painting, I've got another set on at night, uh, and I'll I'll just accidentally go away and I'll have these magnifier things on. I can't see anything. Like I'm trying to put the kettle on. I'm basically like outside in the woods, uh, <laughs> dancing with a tree. So uh, think... maybe just it's not so much eyesight. It's more I'm just going senile. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, to be honest. Um, I think the brush thing, though, um, I haven't... My brushes are cheap and they're okay, but they're, they're not in brilliant condition. And, yeah, I think that as the point starts going, it is, it's like, it's an annoying thing. And you, there's something about spending money on them as well that I kind of really begrudge, which is stupid. Um, but it, it, there's definitely been times where I've soldiered on with a brush that's really, like, dogged and doesn't really work properly and then end up messing stuff up and then you have to go back and correct it it's actually mm-hmm. makes the whole process quite irritating doesn't it yeah you know sometimes you have a painting session where a few things come together maybe you're a bit unsure going in because there's a couple of tricky things in front of you and you know you don't really know what's next but you have this really good session and you come away from it feeling good about it well i, I had I had the opposite last night where like I tried four or five different things. None of them I was particularly happy with. I don't like to finish on something bad, but at the same time, things weren't going well, and I thought, I'm, I don't want to keep just messing stuff up here that needs tidied up. So I did kind of finish up and think, well, I got stuff done, but not not quite to the standard I was hoping. But I, I think that's just the nature of the beast sometimes, isn't it? It is there's a slightly weird relationship, isn't there, with um with the painting, um whereby it feels like it's um a thing that you have to get done, um, and it it can at times kind of creep up on you and you sort of feel like it's a bit of a chore. Like I've got to put all this basing stuff on these figures that I've done, and I really don't want to do it. And I was saying, I was moaning to my wife that I've got to do that. It's just like, well, you know this is literally entirely down to you that you're doing it like, <laughs> and no one knows you're doing it and no one cares other than you so it's like it's quite a weird thought isn't it it's like, oh yeah hang on a minute this is totally for pleasure and yet it's kind of annoying me so um yeah I think sometimes you just have to switch your mindset on it a bit don't you and just think oh yeah I, I chose to do this and some parts of it are more enjoyable than others but all of it as a whole is is a good thing and I'm happy to be doing it so yeah I find generally the hardest part is, is starting, but mm. because I've only got those three nights a week that I, I get the opportunity, even if I don't feel like it, I know that I'll feel better once I've started. Once I've started, I'll almost always enjoy it. You know, even if it's not going that well, I still enjoy it. But uh, aye, it, it would always be easier in the evening, you know, especially if, like every second night I'm putting the wee one to bed and 
you know, you, you kind of come out of her room just like, <laughs> like fried. And uh, it would be a lot easier just to go and watch a telly or that. But I've never really done that in the evenings. I've never liked sitting watching TV. So, there's something, aye, it's, um, yeah, there's definitely something nice about um, no matter how little you do, you've transformed something because you're putting down a sort of layer of permanent paint on something. Um, you can directly see that you've done it, can't you? Whereas if you watch a TV program or play a video game or something like that, then it's more kind of in the moment and in your brain, but it, there's nothing physically changes about the world. So it's mm-hmm. quite nice doing stuff like that. Yeah, especially if you're in a job, or, you know, a knowledge work job, a computer job. Mm. Uh, you're not yeah, doing any of that physical really stuff. don't really do anything, do they, to be honest? So, you know, mm. just like, well, what do you do today? It's like, oh, I'll just click to mouse. And yeah. Press some keys on a keyboard. Yeah. You know, that's what yeah. you physically did, and that's quite a weird thought. It's quite abstract. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was talking the other day about this with my colleague and how, like, in your work... In your role at work, you could have a day where you do, like, within the boundaries of your job, achieve really good things, you help people, you, you fix things, but you don't really come out at, with the same level of satisfaction as, say, for example, you know, you go out and, like, paint a fence or you, you fix the tyre or you change oil in your car or you paint something, you mm. know. You, I don't know why, but there's just, like, so much more satisfaction in that manipulation of something in the physical world. I think it must be very hardwired into us, uh, that mm-hmm. kind of active craft and uh, and doing things and, and creating things and creating safe spaces and achieving stuff. It's kind of measured by physical trinkets and trophies and, you know, it's sort of you look back in history and that's how people operated and it's kind of a relatively modern thing now, isn't it, that everything's digital um, and the experiences are kind of much more... Uh, sort of transitory aren't they that we we have so yeah i think there is a bit of that um mm-hmm. i think that's why um probably i think it was, there was a bit of a chat in the discord the other day someone said about their um there's this um space weirdos game that sounds quite cool that people are chatting yeah. about um and someone had, uh got it printed off um like a nice little spiral bound it looked really good and you're like, oh, that's cool you know it's just something kind of great about being able to it's great that a publisher can publish something on a website and charge five quid to download it as a PDF. So that's a brilliant route to market for that independent publisher and rules mm-hmm. writer. They don't have to get involved with the printing process or get a publisher to represent them. But then the customer is still gaining a kind of high quality printed output. And yeah, that's I think that that really appeals. And you just think, yeah, it's really nice just the idea of having stuff on paper and and it being kind of a real tactile hobby from beginning to end i have done a bit of that myself uh, in the past where i've bought rules that were pdf only mm. and i used a i used a service called print my pdf i actually I, I laugh because i know i could just unsubscribe to their emails but like i get i get an email from them like every week and it just asked me like do you like printed documents <laughs> I'm like well I've bought like six or seven from you so yes I never open the emails they, they maybe have offers or that but it is brilliant when you get emails from companies who clearly sell a product that you only need once in a blue moon but they email yeah, you and every I already know about hours. you and I'm a customer but yeah. yeah they're like what about what about some more printed documents yeah. like, I, do you need any oh, more tyres today yeah. <laughs> not really no <laughs> Aye, so um, I've done done a bit of that in the past. Though, yeah, I could on, I could only buy these rules in PDF. I've, mm. I've got them printed, and I do like to have them tangibly. Uh, you know, I like something I could hold and leaf through, especially if you were literally playing. But I think the last thing I would want to do is have like, you know, have to involve a computer or any sort of, or at least if I was involved in technology, I'd want it to to be minimalist. Um. Mention, it's interesting you mentioned Space Weirdos. I was going to ask you about that because I had seen a lot of conversation. Uh, is that is that not something you've dipped into yet then? No, I, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, it sounds like there's a fantasy version as well. Um, the one thing that piqued my interest about it is there was a... Uh, I think Carl shared an article about it um, on the server, on the Discord server, about how it worked with, like, um, similar to... This, we've talked before about how um, 
think Mayhem uses the different um, polyhedral dice, doesn't it, to represent mm. your statistic. And so it sounds like it does something similar to that. But I think you're rolling like perhaps two of the same dice. So you so you're still getting the variation that's quite good with the different dice, but it's kind of a little bit more level because um, you're more likely to get a, an average result in the middle. So rather than like a D4 and it's like, well, you, oh, I only got a one and then the next person gets a four and you're like, oh, brilliant. And then that happens three times in a row or something. So I think if you're rolling two, at least chances are that people are going to get, you know, threes and fours more averagely. But it did mm-hmm. sound really good, actually. Like a good way of combining that um, variation that that is in some games, but with a little bit more predictability. Because the only thing when you introduce too many different things, like new dice or new this or new that, the other, sometimes it can just kind of play a bit with your basic understanding of what might happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it sounded really good. I reckon I'll uh, get on the bandwagon and get a copy. And I, I was kind of torn with this because I'm saying to myself, like, there's already loads of games that you've got that you're not playing. But then at the same time, I don't see this as going into, you know, Games Workshop and buying a £90 box with, like, no, screws it's like five and five quid, isn't it? Yeah, like, you know, you're not you're not diving into getting all the miniatures and stuff. You're literally getting a book. And even if you just enjoy a read through the rule book and, you know, looking at the artwork and stuff, which I do, that's enough value for me. Like, maybe I'll play it. Hopefully I'll play it. But even if I just, you know, maybe just enjoy the rules, maybe see a couple of things that, I feel I could add to something else in the future. So, aye. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a bit like um, collecting cookery books or recipe books, isn't it? It's not dissimilar. Mm. How many things did you actually make out of it? It doesn't really matter. If you enjoyed Mm -hmm. reading it and having a look, it it might give you a bit of inspiration. Sometimes that's kind of what these things are, really. They're like, they're just something that's a bit of a... And I've bought things in the past and looked at them and thought, oh, actually, I don't think I would play it. But I still didn't really regret buying it because I have a sense of kind of maybe helping me understand what it is I do and don't like. Mm-hmm. Did you get um, the Rogue Trader book for Games Workshop? No, I didn't order it, actually. I half wondered about it. And out of complete, um, I don't know why, but I just didn't really want to give them any money, which is awful, really, because... <laughs> I don't know why I've become so angry with them because they really have had very little negative impact on my whole life. Yeah. Uh, they've only had positive impact really in the past. But I think a lot of people feel a bit betrayed by them and think they're a bit evil, which I don't know. I, I definitely do, but I know it's completely irrational. Um, but I didn't pick it up. But I think probably because what I've heard of it is it's really fun and it's quite quirky and it's quite interesting, but I've heard it's like insanely complicated to try and play. Aye, I'm never going to play it. I just, I just wanted to so have a coffee the book table and read book, it. Kind of yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, exactly. Does it look really cool? You've had yours, haven't you? It came really quickly, but I gave it to my wife. I said, "Just give me this for Christmas." It, fe- it felt a bit anticlimactic because it, it said like this: "This will probably take like six months to come to your house," and then like yeah, the next day, like we're gonna the, wait the till all the orders are in and commission the finest paper makers in yeah, the land I, to come and present what they're the gonna do for it. us. But yeah, I, like the next day they emailed and said it's on its way, and then it oh, came cool. like the following day. So I, I was a bit like, I don't just want to open it the now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Christmas is not that. It's, it's it's always good to uh, double these things up. So I just said to my wife, just give me this for Christmas, and I've also asked for the. The one where, um, oh God, what's their names now? I should know this. The the, the really cool looking book that come out this year, uh, ex, ex-editor of White Dwarf, Robin Jews, John oh, Stallard. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the, um, I know the ones with all the interviews. Yeah. I can't think what they're called, but it's like a two volume thing, isn't it? That looks really I, good. Yeah. Um, I've asked for that. I don't know if I'll get it now because I've handed a book over <laughs> for me to get back, but uh you got? Did you make up a wee Christmas list or that? Anything you're wanting for Santa? So, well, yeah, actually, I've got quite something quite exciting that my wife has agreed um, to get me for Christmas, which is um, she's going to pay for me to have some um, one-to-one painting lessons with um, Josh. I wondered where that command. was going there. Could have went anywhere. She's going to oh, really? pay for me to have some. Yeah, so, so just some um, yeah, some special <laughs> um, online sessions with someone in Japan. Um, that's all been lined up. 
So um, yeah, that's that's the plan. Um, which are, yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And I've heard via some people, including George, in our community about how how great these lessons are. So I had a chat with Josh, and he was just like, yeah, just told me how it works. And the idea of actually going someone like that, who's just a brilliant painter, and just trying to learn some techniques and understand what it is I'm doing because I think quite mm-hmm. a lot of what I do is like I'm happy with but I don't feel like I when I look back at those bows and badges pictures uh miniatures I painted five years ago they actually I'm really pleased with them on one hand which is great but I also think oh well maybe I haven't got any better and I think I probably haven't I think I probably sort of like maxed out a bit um mm-hmm. and I have no idea how you do like the really cool stuff like I know you blend two colors together really smoothly or do really nice little highlights on the edge of stuff so yeah that's kind of what I'm hoping to to get from that so I think that's pretty cool Christmas present and I'm I'm also of that age where like actually owning any more objects and putting them in my house is a completely terrible idea so um experience you'll be dead soon yeah yeah exactly I mean I'm already 43 so yeah I think the clock's ticking Aye, but for anyone who's not aware, uh, it's Josh you're talking about for the Crown of Command podcast. Yeah, isn't so it? Josh, who runs the Crown of Command community, and they've got podcasts, YouTube channels, all sorts of things. He's like a media baron now. Yeah. He's um he's full time p- painter as well. Um, that's his main job, and he offers um painting tutorial lessons. Um, and he used to work for. DW uh, in the 90s um, in their shops and he was an heavy metal painter for a while so you know he's top top quality mm-hmm. and a really aye, lovely looks, guy his stuff's exceptional and I like you're saying George did some lessons with him and uh, I it'll be fantastic you know I'd, mm. I'd be keen to try that out myself next year if, if I got the time so uh, aye it'll be interesting to hear how you get on with that you'll be entering Golden Demon next year I'm sure your gold space marines will finally get the paint job they deserve. (laughs) You never know. Our question of the month for May 2024 is what rules have you created or adapted to improve your favourite gaming system? This might be a homebrew rule or something you've ported over from another game. The point is you tried it, it worked well and you kept on using it. Head on over to bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail to submit your answer. That's bedroombattlefields.com forward slash voicemail. And now, back to the show. Anything else on your uh, Christmas list whilst we're on that? I don't think so, actually, no. Um, I, I did kind of make a bit of um when I when I decided to do these two big armies, and I kind of, I mean, in fairness, it doesn't take up that much room now. They're all painted because they're all based like really tightly packed together. But either way, it was a lot of figures, so there's about four hundred and fifty miniatures or something like that. So it was quite a lot. And I was like, well, okay, what I'll do is I'll get those. I've got some other things which um, I think I've mentioned before. I've got these um, like kind of Wickermanny folk horror type little warband things. So there's like some uh, Morris dancers and some and kind of like a May queens and things like this is really cool and a scarecrow. So I've got those figures already, and I'm not planning on buying anything anytime soon. So I'm actually kind of rather than thinking of things I want, I'm just actually trying to kind of say, right, well, what do I actually want? And it's probably to just go to events, meet people, play games rather than buy stuff that's kind of the point i've got mm-hmm. to now so yeah it's not really a christmas idea but certainly in terms of like uh, new year's resolutions it's more about kind of getting out there and doing stuff i think it's a christmas wish mark you should absolutely uh, write it on your list and put it up the fire except not many people have fires now so no, stick it on the radio through, and watch it go brown yeah put it in an air fryer <laughs> um you might have seen on the Discord I'm flirting now with Armada, Mantics mm. Armada. Uh, so I got the I got the rule book and the cards, the the sort of counters and stuff. I got them for like a tenner off. I That's think really it was good, Firestorm it? games. Yeah, because I, I quite I like it when you just get like the book and the bits, and you don't. Yeah, because like starter kits are cool, but. Sometimes you don't want like I don't know an orc fleet or something. You want something yeah. else. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. really good. I know, and because I'm because I'm still what I would class is doing my research. So it's like you know I've read the book and I I like what I see 
Um, yeah. And just for like a bit of background, like I, I, I've always admired like some Man of War from a distance. I've never played it, never owned it, but you know, always loved the look of it. Yeah, and it's super cool, isn't it? Like folk are still playing it, but it's long out of print. And I, I know you could get proxies, and I know you could find the rules online, but I do just like that simplicity of like I'm just going to get into this game because it's you know it's supported and it's in print. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm getting it new anyway, so it's not like I already knew how Man of War worked or that. So. Yeah, the nostalgia's more for the aesthetic, not for the yeah, exactly. um, actual structured gameplay. So I was looking at, like, uh, I mean, the rules are straightforward but fun-looking, uh, different to what I'm used to, you know, when you're moving a miniature figure around, like a soldier around the table or a regiment. Movement's a lot more flexible, but when you're looking at ships, you know, you're going to need uh, to be a lot more tactical. And I, I like the yeah, of that. Yeah, plan the movement differently, I guess, has its Yeah, like you, you can't just stop and turn and go the other way and stuff like yeah. that. So, um, And in terms of like fleets and that as well, uh, I initially thought that I would, because I didn't realise that Armada was uh, based on what's it called now black seas by warlord is that the name of it yeah it's the same rules isn't it but that's yeah, like a historical adapted for fantasy game. yeah yeah that's cool but looking at the ships for sale for that like you have to literally like do the rigging and stuff with like i think it's like string or uh, twine yeah. or that and I'm like, it looks like the kind of thing that would make that your toes curl and then you're yeah. up tearing it up and yeah, I don't know, throwing it across the room. It just looks really infuriating. I, I really struggle with those kind of super fiddly things. Yeah, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, yeah, and I, it did appeal to me to have two human, two rival, human fleets. Um, yeah, just so fantasy, but like pretty low fantasy. So yeah, I. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I would have loved to do a, like a Norse fleet or you know Viking fleet or that, but. It seems to be, you know, it's a lot of cannons and stuff. It's more age of sail than right. Okay, age yeah. of ore and axe. So, <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll have to look more into that. But yeah, I like the idea. Just you know, two rival human fleets, like you say, low fantasy. We could throw a dragon in there maybe at some point. But the Mantic ships actually, they they negate all that trouble with the rigging and that because all the sails and that are, you know, they're they're part of the miniature. But um, and they they really look good. I know, like probably both of us have been a bit critical of Mantic's older miniatures, but these do look fantastic. Yeah, but, I think um, maybe the style as well, like yeah. the sculpting style, which is quite obviously done on a computer. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to suit things that are, would have been built by engineers and not creatures or something like that you see what i mean i, th I think that it's the that's why the hand sculpted style i think looks so brilliant for fantasy miniatures because mm. you look at something like i don't know the, you know the old like jez goodwin skaven or the trish card and stuff and you know absolutely amazing dragons and things and you're like yeah that looks you, you couldn't do that on the computer and make it look that good because it's all about the natural look mm -hmm. but yeah i think mm -hmm. the boats look pretty smart actually yeah i they do they do but, um, and again, it's not like I need to go out and buy these right now. Like, that's the last thing I should do because I've got plenty to be getting on with. But uh, the prices, like, they're, again, you know, Mantic are more of a games workshop than I think any other company that I'm aware of. They're not mm, obviously they, on the they've same They've nudged level, their prices up a lot, haven't they? In yeah. In the last five years or so. I think, like, three ships, four ships, you'd be talking 40 quid. And I'm thinking, like, how big are they? Like, that's the thing the size of your palm of your hand or not yeah I'd want to be getting in it and you know <laughs> taking it down the pond but um, no I don't I don't think they're Stand particularly up big so it's yeah. and again you know I'm, that's I'm a lot of money saying, isn't it yeah for what would maybe you know in the past have only been a lot cheap. yeah man of war boats weren't that much money I remember I had someone years ago and you know the plastic ones were quite cheap mm-hmm I think I, I'm just, I'm used to, like, the companies I buy from, I'll pay three to five quid a miniature. And I'm just used to that. And I know there's a whole debate around, you know, I know some folks say they should be worth a lot more, and, and that's a whole other argument. But w this is what I'm used to. And then yeah. to go to that pricing structure is just quite jarring for me. And it's just easy not to do it. And it feels a little bit, if you're being cynical, like they've gone, well, you only need nine 
for your mm-hmm. side. So therefore, if people are happy to pay 60 quid for nine, then just charge them 60 quid rather yeah. than thinking what should each one cost. Aye. It's almost like that, like this is the value of an army, whether that's yeah. a 40k army or a Warhammer army or an Armada fleet or whatever. Yeah, you know. yeah that's why those Perry miniatures are so good value, I think, because if, I mean, they mass produce plastics, but so is everything really technically. But, you know, they, they're like 30, 40p a figure if you get them on a good deal. Yeah. And that's I... because they're selling them to people who want huge Napoleonic armies with, you know, 600 figures. So mm-hmm. actually, it's still a lot of money in total. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I think you're right. I think that 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 pricing does feel a bit off. You can get mm. some good deals on the Armada stuff on different websites. I think Mantic charge a lot more on their site than you can get them for elsewhere. But yeah, it's still a lot of money, isn't it? So mm-hmm. what are you thinking I, of doing then potentially? Just a couple of human fleets. So I I saw him um, on their shop like the Basilians. I think they call them. Their their ships look really cool, and then mm. the Kingdom of Men ones as well. So in an ideal world, I'd get two of those fleets uh, cool. one each but I, I'll, I'll need to keep an eye on deals and stuff like that and, and I won't be looking for a lot you know I'm not going to be playing on a 6 before or that yeah yeah so yeah. 3 or 4 a piece will do me I think and it will just no, give me cool. that option for a ship game I've always I've always kind of been interested in nautical stuff <laughs> chippies uh, but like I read um, I read James Cook's book Captain Cook's book a couple of not he didn't write it but a book about him couple okay. of years ago so i've always i've always found that sort of seafaring age quite interesting so yeah just there's something quite cool about it isn't sandbox. there and yeah i think that when i remember when man of war came out just thinking oh this is such a brilliant idea just like kind of bringing in this different aspect of um and they had mighty empires probably still at the time you know it's kind of mm. the idea that you could do that kind of campaign based thing and ah, oh, there's a little sea battle going on here and then this happens at land and i don't know just it makes it all feel a bit more complete doesn't it i i have always thought of that like i want i want a game for every genre if that's the right term you know i want my dungeon crawler i want my skirmish games you know i've got my mass fantasy game my mass battle game like naval yeah to replicate different kind of levels of conflict or Mm. challenges or whatever it might be yeah i think that's right i think that's kind of one of the things that um i've got on the subject of this, uh, these armies I've done, they're kind of like you know 19th century sort of imagination stuff. But I also picked up some um, these flying airships, uh, like Victorian sci-fi flying airships from Irregular Miniatures. They were like really mm. cheap. Um, it's like Irregular Miniatures, one of these old companies that sell like quite a strange range, mostly six mil. And they do two mil figures. They do all sorts of stuff. And they got like an appalling website that's almost impossible to navigate. <laughs> and, you know, which is kind of charmingly bad. But, mm. um, yeah, it, I picked up these things. There was something like, I spent some like 14 quid. And I've got, I think, uh, something like 16 metal ships that are about mm. 10 centimetres long each. And I got some flying stands from war bases that they did on a custom order for me. And, um, yeah, I'm going to use those for a kind of almost like a airship um naval kind of element to the campaigns for the games just the games that i'm going to play on the land so this kind of slightly steampunky kind of airship stuff mm. um so i think that'd be quite cool um i've got this set of rules from osprey called i think what's it called castle in the sky and um yeah i'm going to give that a try it looks really a bit overcomplicated, so i might strip it down a bit because to be honest i think it's aimed at people who like with naval stuff you know you can have all oh, this hit this part of the hole and this cause this thing and you know like really granular levels of um damage but i think i might just try and strip down a bit to mm. test the water really but it looks good yeah. fun i like that i've got a ship card here there's a toilet blocked on the lower decks and we need to get to that <laughs> <laughs> exactly no, it, but that kind of thing is quite cool, though, isn't it? Because it sort of zooms out, but then zooms in. So you've got this yeah. sort of more zoomed out scale, and you're looking at it from above, and it's, everything's tiny. But then you're thinking about what's going on. I, I quite like the idea that, like, if you were on a boat as well, the kind of the way that like morale would work is really different. Like, you might not know that it's all going horribly wrong if you're on a massive boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's just kind of like the whole atmosphere must be totally and utterly different. Um, to a land battle so yeah anything that can simulate that a bit but without overly making it overly complicated is what i'm looking for 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been toying with this thought in terms of like skirmish games between again just single soldiers or whatever. Like if you go mm. on, on a really small scale skirmish, you know, two three aside. And again, I'm not. There'll be games out there that do this definitely, but I've not come across them. So like, you know, I'm playing against you, and I have a guy and he shoots one of your guys with an arrow and we just say oh you hit him you know points deducted or whatever but you know what about thinking about where it hit and what implications that has so it hits a leg yeah and that character is then slower or even you know grounded uh it hits an arm so maybe the fighting skill is reduced because that's your sword arm so it's, it's or it's a headshot and you're dead you know, it's often just, and I know why we do it, because we can't get too granular uh, over a certain amount of miniatures or it would become impossible. But if you went really small scale, two, three guys, you could get into that, you know, of, of being yeah, shot Yeah, I think that the, me- whatever. the mechanics in a lot of role-playing games kind of lend themselves towards that because each person's one person and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that, from what I know, the sort of the, the point at which wargaming and RPGs kind of, not split as such because it's almost like RPGs came out of war, like historical wargaming and it's kind of you know what at that point in the 70s when Gary Gygax was coming up with D&D what, what was the kind of the the, the point where there was more thing, there was, I think there would have been more stuff on the market that was geared up to that kind of um, granularity mm-hmm. but um, yeah it's just and then the accessibility of it and the speed at which it plays just kind of comes into things you know like the idea that it would you might play a game like that and you're like, oh, well, this happened and then this person turns around and then they hit this person on the side of their leg and this causes that. You, you might find that it takes you like an hour to play out something that's worth a few seconds of real time. Yeah. And you've got to really be kind of into it if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I can see the appeal, but at the same time, it, it's quite an ask, isn't it, of everyone around the table to want to be on that same page. Yeah. I You might have seen like I'd... Um... I'd done a wee YouTube video actually around that scenario that I'd been planning. You know the the one uh, where I, I was going to have like this eldritch beast yeah. go into this village, and he was going to try and convert as many villagers, like NPCs, essentially, over to his side because after a certain amount of turns, these bounty hunters were going to turn up and fight him. Uh, so it was about winning as many or making as many allies as he could before that happened, and. Uh, I wasn't sure what rule set I was going to use for that, but mm. I ended up opting for Song of Blades and Heroes because there's so little stat lines for each character. So if I yeah. ended up with quite a lot of them on the table, the last thing I wanted was to totally have to stat all of them up. You know, they've got all these different stats for everyone. It would have been a bookkeeping nightmare. So going with Song of Blades and Heroes, you've literally got the quality in the combat and, you know, maybe if it's a unique character, a couple of special rules, but there's no bookkeeping there. So when you're doing a scenario like that, that there's a lot else going on. Simplicity yeah. for the miniatures and the characters and the stats is, is going to be better. Yeah, that makes really good sense, actually. I've never really thought of it like that, but sometimes it's, um, it's almost like because you've also got a really story-rich narrative um, thing, I think sometimes some of the criticism that like the Joe McCulloch games gets is a bit unfair because, oh, you know, it just uses the D20 and it's really swingy and it can do this. And that's true, but because you've got a story type elements in the game, you don't actually want the game to be mechanically too complicated, do you? Because mm. otherwise, you can go and get a bit distracted from. I don't know. You, it's a bit like chess has got zero story. It's one hundred percent mechanics, and you can just focus on the mechanics, and you know becomes very non-narrative and potentially. You know, it's a terrible spectator sport type of thing. You know, there's no, no story to be said. So, yeah, it depends on what you're aiming for, doesn't it, really? But I think that's a good idea, using Songs of Blades and Heroes, because if anyone were to be critical of that, they'd say, oh, it's a bit simple. But, mm-hmm. yeah, given you could have had any number of converts, then it's just too big a risk, isn't it, to have a complicated game system against that as well? Yeah, I like, you yeah, know... Yeah. Well, Here's this old woman that's come out and been converted. Like, what's her stats? You know, like six different stats for her and stuff. And it's like, that's. Yeah. And what difference would it actually make as well in the end? Yeah. Because the weight of numbers of would probably be a bigger factor um, mm-hmm. in how difficult the game was than um, how, what statistically each of them is valued at, sort of thing. 
Yeah. Aye, and it, it backs up, you know, that developing thought that I've had as well about, like, a couple of years ago, I think I was always on the search for, um, mainly in the skirmish games, I think, like, most of us are these days, mm. but that search for, like, you know, what is the game with the perfect combat mechanic, and, uh, you know, is it Frostgrave, is it Rangers, is it Song of Blades and Heroes, open combat, uh, yeah. you know, Brutal Quest, and then you come to realise, like, no, these games are all great, but pitch battles are pitch battles you know you'll only get so many legs out of them it's it's the narrative it's the story and once you've got good stories and good narrative any game will work fine you just need to you know that's what we're really into i think most of us is is the story so yeah there's plenty of good gaming systems out there but none of them are going to give you that like you know the, the combat mechanic here is so amazing that i'm never going to need story or that i could just it could just be me and the other guy fighting each other forever like that's never going to work because you'll eventually get bored of just you know a fight with no background story at all yeah i think the fact that actually if someone said do you fancy playing a game of anything oh it's got amazing mechanics it's absolutely brilliant we're just going to just do it on the kitchen table just use pieces of card you think, oh, I don't really want to. It just sounds a bit dry. You know, the miniatures, the terrain, all that, that's yet further evidence that there's much more to it than just the rules. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a very experiential thing, isn't it? You just want to see a kind of like a little film happening in front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed um, swinging back to Armada that, that there are a couple of, I say a couple, there are like seven or eight really good looking scenarios in the book. Oh, cool. Which- is a great start as well. I always like when you get, and it's it, again, it's harder for like I read a lot of skirmish games and they give you scenarios. It's very hard, it seems, for the writers to come up with much original stuff because it's all been done. But with ships, you've got you know a, a bit road less travelled. It's not really a road; it's under the water. But <laughs> um, looking forward to eventually trying them out. I would hope. Cool. Yeah, no, that does sound good. Yeah, because the the function of the ships in the first place is completely different, isn't it? They, mm-hmm. you know, are they out to try and stop pirates, and or are they trying to blockade something to stop, you know, supplies coming through or whatever it might be. Yeah, so that's really mm. cool. Fix a toilet. Yeah. Um, I was looking on Etsy, like you know, talking of the miniature prices, and mm. you always get decent prints on Etsy, but. I'm a bit dubious, like the price is <laughs> the price is right on Etsy, but um, I'm dubious about things like masts and that. I don't want to be making my own sales and I don't want to get prints where the masts are going to be really fragile and snap and stuff. So yeah, I might actually true. just bite the bullet and get the Mantic stuff further down the line. Again, I'm in no rush, but... It's going to be a bit more tried and tested, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. yeah, and if it did break when it arrived, you know, you could contact them and you know that their customer service team would just sort you out. Yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I think the other thing that's probably quite relevant is the scale of those boats. I think that they're a completely different scale to the Man of War boats, but almost double the size. Yeah, I did wonder about that. Work properly. it's quite important that they are proportionately because it probably matters quite a lot. In if you've only got a few models, you know, if one model is smaller, then they naturally have got quite a lot of advantage, haven't they, over over other ones? And yeah, no, it's kind of buying all from the same range would just mean it all fits together and works. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, that very specific turning criteria, like in the card yeah. set that I got with the book, you've got a it's like a little wheel with two chunks cut out of it, so some of your smaller boats have got like this wider turning circle and then the bigger ones have got so it's it's like crucial yeah, that you've it's quite the precise right. then isn't it really mm-hmm. yeah so i i'll just i will just eventually it's just it's a shame that <laughs> i'll have to spend that much again i know it's a whole other debate about perceived value and things but i'm used to just getting stuff for like three pound on midlum or whatever so yeah uh, i think it's probably there's probably some bargains to be had um, yeah. out there. And there's always there's always some of these retailers who, who just have got surplus stock and they just want to get get it gone. So yeah, no, I, I think worth having a Google around, isn't it? Just seeing what you can find. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we're uh, reaching the end of the chat, Mark. It's been really good. Uh, just a last thing I wanted to to ask about was uh, the wee Christmas meetup on the Discord. What's the crack there? Oh, yeah, yeah. So on 
Monday the 18th of December at 7 o'clock, um, what's it, Greenwich Mean Time, GMT, um, we've got a bit of a meet-up uh, that is, people have wanted to kind of get together, um, we were, we've been chatting about having a physical meet-up, which we still really want to do, and maybe we're looking at doing something at Bring Out Your Lead in August, brilliant, but what we thought we'd do is just a quick little um, Christmas party. So it's just really an online Google Meet session. Uh, people are very welcome to come to. If you're on the Discord, just send me a, a message uh, and I'll send you the link to it. If you're not on the Discord, then join it and then and then do so. And uh, everyone's welcome. We're just going to, it's just going to be sort of paint and chat, get to know each other, just a bit of that. I'm also planning on doing some kind of a novelty quiz of some description if I can find the time but I, I do want to do that because I think that'll be quite good fun um yeah all we're all very open-minded very relaxed just um just a nice little Christmas do better than the office party I can guarantee it <laughs> no photocopy in your arse or maybe we will get into that I suppose no I think it, it yeah we're trying to go paperless so just just scan and <laughs> just drop it into the team and then chat. i'll send it to print my pdf they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll stop they'll stop emailing me then they'll be like we're not making this for you <laughs> <laughs> um so bedroombattlefields.com slash discord's where you'll find that uh I'll turn up absolutely smashed monday night Excellent. i'll be on it i'll have my buckfast enema and i'll have my pile of white dwarfs for the quiz Excellent. Party hat on and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really look forward to it. I thanks for putting it together, Mark. I'm, uh, I'm no worries. Looking forward to it too. So, I that's Monday the 18th of December. That's right. Yeah. Seven o'clock. Cool. Um, anything else we've not covered just before we get it wrapped up? Then. Yeah, I don't think so. No, it's been great, and thanks for having me back on for the um, 18th time. Yeah, you're always welcome. We'll get your uh, sticker sent off to you in the post tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Cheers then, Mark. That's great. Cheers, Matthew. See you soon. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please do share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to check out our Discord community of like-minded hobbyists, which you can find at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash discord. It'd be great to see you in there.